Welcome back to the Hoops Temple Podcast. Joining me is our usual host, Nate, whose internet has betrayed him to the point where he had to relinquish hosting privileges. Nate, how are you? I am doing good, but the lag is apparently bad. I've got a three-second delay between my speaking and your hearing, so we're going to power through it. And uh, joining us as well is Dylan from New Zealand. Dylan, how you doing? Lightning fast over here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> They're both doing equally good, but one is a bit faster than the other. <laughs> I'm excited to talk over Nate the whole podcast, so <laughs> just just the usual, really. <laughs> I don't understand how you can live in New Zealand and be more well-connected to us in America than I am. It just doesn't feel right. We supposedly have like terrible like internet infrastructure as well, so... Who knows? Dylan is like in real time. I feel like I'm talking to him. Like he's in my room right now. He's like so on beat. <laughs> it's, it's the beauty of the internet, man. I'm right there with you in your um in your recording studio there. I want to start with All Star reserves. Those were announced over the past week. The biggest three snubs in the general consensus were Trey Young, Demonis Sabonis, and De'Aaron Fox. Do you guys have a biggest snub of those three, or do you have a surprise contender? I'm just gonna say the Western Conference. Because, like, Julius Randle <laughs> is hurt. Joel Embiid is hurt. Trey Young is going to get in. He's going to be an injury replacement. And then they're going to put in someone else. Jared Allen's going to get a spot. Like, we could have had uh, Sabonis. We could have had Fox, uh, Rudy Gobert. There's, like, a lot of good candidates from the West. James Harden, the way he has played, it would be a decent candidate from the West. But, no, we're going to get another Eastern Conference players. Like, the was snubbed. It's a good answer. I listened back to um, your guys' picks last week, and you guys both had Darren Fox, so I guess he would be the biggest um, snub. You know, it's... Although, no, yeah, you, you guys didn't have Cat, right? So you, you had Fox over Towns, um, which I said was that it was, you know, interesting that the Timberwolves' third best player gets to be in the All-Star game over um, the Kings' best, and it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a five-game difference. I think it's time that we take away the all-star reserves from the coaches because not only do they like come up with some like weird picks but they also lie like do you think there's any coach in the league who actually thinks julius randall is better than scotty barnes do you think there's any coach that looks at those two players and they're like yeah i want julius randall who could we possibly allocate these resources <laughs> to because i don't trust the fans the fan voting comes out and it's like six lakers and six knicks and you're like awesome that's just it's pretty no, it's exactly what I wanted in the All-Star game. So you like you start I'll sweating about that. And you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> President of Basketball Conversations will control the All-Star game voting. The two questionable All-Star appearances. I mean, the biggest one is Carl Anthony Towns. I, I don't think we even really considered him. And I wasn't mad no. about Sabonis and Fox not making it until it was Towns. Because I had accepted a long time ago that's like, yeah, you know, we've got, we got blown up by 30 like four times. Like we keeps we lost to the Hornets, we lost to the Wizards or whatever shitty team we lost to. Like I understand where this is heading. But then it was like, then it was fucking Carlton Towns. I'm like, oh man, like this is way worse. Like now I'm upset about this. I would have preferred Harden. I would have preferred Jalen Williams. I would have preferred Fox and Sabonis. I would have, Laurie Market and I would have thought it was, was cooler. I just don't understand. I still understand the uh, the town's piece. Well, Aaron, what you don't understand is that scoring sixty points against the Charlotte Hornets is a really hard task to do. I mean, scoring sixty is just something that doesn't happen every day. I mean, it did happen twice that day. One guy just scored seventy. And it did happen uh, <laughs> twice a few days after that, and it did happen once last night. But aside from those three days, <laughs> it doesn't happen all that every day. Like, Did they win? 
No, but I blame the coach on that play. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when the team was feeling it and the team was having vibes uh, and was feeding Carl, they were up by 10. When the coach chewed them out and said, no, we have to get back to playing our game and squashed the vibes, uh, the team ended up losing. So I- I'm, I'm anti-Chris Finch in this. Go ahead, Dylan. Cook up a thought for us. Uh, normally the coaches are very, like, coach... Um centric in their perspective like they try to reward other coaches which is probably where like this you know the third best player on the best team instead of the best player on the fifth best team comes from is they're like well you know this this team's got all these wins great coaching we've got to give it to them and so it's interesting that they would pick the guy who you know his own coach went on in the post-game interviews and said like this guy's playing fucking bullshit basketball like this is a bullshit game <laughs> <laughs> that they that they then listen to that and be like you know what as us coaches who look after each other we're gonna fucking put in carl towns in his bullshit <laughs> basketball that was unreal i wanted to touch on we have to go back because didn't we predict like who were the first time all-stars in before the season i swear we've had that conversation like there's always five of them there's always like x amount yeah there's typically six yeah First time All-Stars this year, we've got Tyrese Maxey, we have Jalen Brunson, we have Pacero, who I do think were all people that we at least discussed uh, as being highly likely mm-hmm. to get in there. I think we also thought that this could be the year for Scotty Barnes, maybe a Cade Cunningham, um, and then I think Shangun was our other guy, who all all were close. I mean, not Cade, but the others, maybe, maybe weren't as high on Shangun coming into the year. But it was Desmond Bain. We can look it up. Desmond Bain, hell no. Dylan, you had some analysis about how or why Trey Young wasn't an All Star. Do you want to touch on that? Well, what's what's mm. the Trey Young snub? His stats are he's like the only All Star to average twenty five and ten, and or only non All Star to twenty five and ten, and it's the second time it's happened. The first time was him last year. So what's with like what's <laughs> with the the Trey Young hate? Yeah, I mean, like there's there's the perspective that you see on NBA Twitter, which the most common one is that like he's it's comes down to defense they're like this guy's so bad on defense that it cancels out the fact that he's like one of the you know five best offensive point guards in the nba and his team is always really good on offense um throughout his career when he's on his teams are like between 118 and 120 points per 100 positions um so he's really great there and but they they try to bring it back to defense but the thing is firstly that I'm less um, receptive to guard criticism on defense because it's just a lot easier to hide a poor defensive guard. Like you can just put him on the worst player and like, what are you going to do? Like run Nicholas Batum ISOs on Trey Young. Like that's not going to get you that far. Of course, there are ways to take advantage of that, bringing guys into the, you know, into the screening action or um, do the PJ Tucker and just crash the offensive rebounds every, every single shot. But overall, I think guard defense is less important. And then, the other thing is like, okay, there's this idea that his defense is so bad that it cancels out his offense. And when you look for any statistical um, proof of that, uh, it doesn't really exist. And the the best number I found is that the defense is basically as bad when he's on as when he's off, whether it's him running the point or it's former All-NBA defensive um, team member DeJounte Murray, whether it's either one of those guys on without the other, the defense is right about the same. And so there's not really a, any, you know, statistical evidence that this defense is so bad that it's canceling out him being one of the best offensive players in the league. He has been better defensively this year as well. Uh, watching that Warriors game that went to overtime where Curry scored 60 points. Oh, wow. Another 60-point performance. Okay. I guess these really do happen every day. <laughs> but he 
had a big defensive stop. He slid in, took a, a charge. Uh, I guess I want to say it was Pajemski. But like, he's he's trying. He's putting forth effort. He's always going to be small. He'll always be able to be picked on. But I do like seeing him try. And as long as he's trying, like you know, it, it, it's not as bad. Um, I do think the Hawks have pretty terrible defensive schemes and options. Watching Luca score. 23 against them. It seemed like they were pretty happy to try to take away the pass and play him in single coverage all game and just watch him walk to the rim for the first three quarters. At second half, yeah, or fourth quarter, they did some good high, not quite half court, but some high pressure that forced the ball out of his hands. Like the Hawks are are pretty terrible defensively, and that's not a Trey Young problem. That's a Hawks problem. They're just bad, even though they have good defensive pieces. So of Bam Adebayo, Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Brown, Brunson, Maxi, Donovan Mitchell, and Julius Randle, who's your pick? We'll go Dylan. Who's your pick for Trey Young to replace? And or should he be in in the first place? I'll say yes, he should be in. Uh, could you run through that list? Because as you were going through it, I was like, yep, that guy, yep, that guy, yep, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the Eastern Conference reserves were Bama DeBio, Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Maxey, Donovan Mitchell, and Julius Randle. It's actually, that's actually pretty solid. Two guys that I would say, um, which I know that you guys won't ag- agree with because you both had him um had both of these guys on your team, is um Julius Randle, who's getting like the what I call the Derrick Rose MVP um all-star and Bam Adebayo. Mm, wow, spicy. Bam's got like decent box score numbers and then like no impact stats and the team isn't that good. So why not have Trey Young instead who has better box score stats, better impact stats, and like there's not a big difference in team quality. Like Bam plays, you know, good on ball defense and, and scores twenty and Trey Young runs, you know, a top ten offense in the league and Scores twenty five and ten or whatever it is. So yeah, I take Trey Young over Bam and over over Julius Randle. It is just tough to to look at the Hawks at as, at twenty two and twenty seven. I think they were worse than that. Right now they're on a four game winning streak. So when that was announced, it was like this Hawks team is kind of terrible, and they had been pretty terrible. So it's just tough to to sneak in the All Star game when your team is is struggling so much, especially when everyone thought they'd be pretty good we all thought they'd be pretty good i had him as like a five seed i mean it's kind of been a disaster in atlanta so yeah i said at the start of the season like if there was going to be a surprise team to kind of go on like what the pacers run was early in the season and i was like you know a regular season juggernaut who could get knocked out in the playoffs but could win a lot of games my pick for that was the hawks i thought there was a chance that they could you know put up a very high regular season win total and then just be bounced but I want to push back on the Julius Randle point because Julius, over the last 28 games, going back to December 1st, we're looking at 26 points, eight and a half rebounds, five assists on 50% field goal, 33% three, 84% from free throw. Like those are efficient numbers. First, those are solid numbers. Uh, turnovers are a little bit high. But once you got Mitchell Robinson injured, um, Isaiah Hartenstein did a lot better job playing and moving and keeping the area free. And then OG Ananobi uh, is not as ball dominant. He's going to be a better spacer than RJ Barrett has been. I have loved watching the Knicks. They've kind of become my like dirty little secret league pass team of like, I should be watching the Nuggets play Boston, but I'm going to watch the Knicks play whoever. Like, it's just <laughs> fun to watch. And I think, and, and Randall's been a big part of that. Randall's offense has really helped kind of allow the Knicks play their beat their opponent with two metal bats the style of of defense that they've been doing where 
he, he's uh, been really so good offensively, so I don't mind that pick at all. When I first saw the name Julius Randle, I was like, oh, here we fucking go again. Like, just picking the dude off of, like, the team because his team's good. Um, but when he's, like, the, you know, further down the picking order, takes advantage of having a really awesome superstar offensive player in Jalen Brunson and then wins games off of defense, not even because his, you know, offense is good. But... Yeah, you know, those numbers that Nate brought up are really solid. Um, the, the, my first thought was like, how the hell do you have Julius Randle over Scotty Barnes? Um, and when I looked into the numbers, it was really interesting that the Knicks without Jalen Brunson on the floor, but with Randle, are actually still a better offense than the Raptors are with Scotty Barnes on um, without Siakam. And so, you know, there's there's um a little bit of, um, you know, indications of offensive impact there. Um, it's not empty stats, e- even though he does fall into, um, you know, one of those guys who get a lot of shine for being a good offensive player on a team that succeeds because they're good at defense. I, I will say the dirty little secret of Scotty Barnes is as exciting as he has been. I have watched a lot of Raptors games this year. Pascal is still better than Scotty. Like you see the flashes and you see what Scotty can be. Scotty is not there yet. Pascal was still the better player. And I guess if I'm looking at reserves, the reserves I'm probably most interested in are, uh, are not reserves, but are going to be Trey Young and Scal. Although I do just want to say, half of me would be really tempted if I was a coach to just say, fuck it, I'm throwing a vote to OG and an OB. Mm, more Nick's love. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, then, I could see. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah. Well, that that wouldn't be surprising considering, um you know, for some reason, coaches just love Tom Thibodeau. Knicks are 9-1 in the last 10. Yeah. OG has been hurt. Uh, last two those i think we nailed the og trade the raptors have been awful <laughs> that's kind of my point <laughs> the knicks have been really like the best team in the league the past 10 to 10 games and the the raptors have been one of the worst when i graded like the the rj and um sorry the og trade i had someone in my comments say like the raptors have had like the sixth best offensive rating since the trade i'm like but what about their defensive rating it's like the second to the last and now here we are they are the raptors sit at 17 and 31 and they've won two of their last ten. So if there's an anti Barnes case, it's like your team. The team's horrible. The team's just team's not good enough to 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 really start building an all star case. Yeah, and I don't think the surrounding talent is that bad. That like this team should be as bad as it is. And the um on off numbers, the offensive rating stuff, like the team indicators of success, um are all really bad. Regardless of you know what lineups you run with Barnes or. Any of those um, mitigating factors, it's it's all bad. Well, the Raptors really didn't know how to use Barnes, because um, like, he's such a versatile player that for like there there was a point where they were trying to use him as a guard, and he just can't chase small guards around screens. Like he's getting caught up, getting getting screened off, and looked very poor defensively. Offensively, it's really nice. Offensively, they didn't have a lot of spacing around him them early, so like he drive, and then it's like cool, he's kicking to Precious Achua or Pascal. And, uh, it just it didn't work. So like the numbers around on Scotty, I I do feel a bit funky. But the eye test is good. The developmental steps are good. He will be an All Star next year, but just just this year it was not the good year for him. With the All Star roster set, we have our coaches for the Eastern Conference. It's Doc Rivers, guys, is this like the the worst All Star coaching selection we've ever seen? I need a guy. I, I never thought about who's coaching the game, but. The guy who was on the streets two weeks ago and then has been like kind of questionable in his first week with the team. I I forgot to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the Warriors first win um when they went like forty one and 0 or forty one and one 
than when Steve Kerr was out and it was the Luke Walton year. I'm pretty sure Kerr got to coach that all-star team. That's a good pick, though, because Luke Walton wasn't doing shit, and I know he wasn't. <laughs> I know he wasn't. He was. I mean, he could have sat there with pom-poms in a, in a cheerleading outfit, and they would have won the exact same game. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I want to touch on the, the Bucks-Blazers game. And now, I, I liked the Doc Rivers hire. I think more than, like, the average, like, little Doc Rivers uh, TikTok comment. But, like, what the fuck is Brooke Lopez doing? I don't know if you caught the end of that game. <laughs> that was my, like, I was my takeaway. Like, nothing in, like, whatever. I don't care about Docker versus these decisions. But the the three, because when Lopez got it, and he pump fake and then sidestep, I'm, like, flashing in front of my eyes is him calling for the ball in the Kings game winner and then, like, moping when he didn't get it. And I thought he was, like, playing a joke when he didn't get to take that shot. <laughs> but then he took that one. He took he took. Damian Lillard's potential game winner in his return to Portland. That's like priceless. It's like Dame's time to shine. And he's like, I'm taking this shot. I've never seen, I've never seen anyone try something like that. Or like in that situation, it's Dame's return to Portland in the clutch. How is that your shot? I think they should trade Brooke Lopez. That's the reason the vibes are bad in Milwaukee. That's like a, that's a fireable offense. I'm not, I wish I was kidding. Like, I think the vibes are bad in Milwaukee. It's because of the shit like that. Maybe that was part of his um, uh, them convincing him to resign. They're like, "We'll give you some more shots. We'll let you take the game winners." Um, but or or the other thing is, he you know before that before he took that shot, Dame did have the ball and he got shut down by a perfect rotation from Tumani mm-hmm. Kamara. Um, and I think Brook Lopez was just afraid that the terrific defense of Tumani Kamara was gonna you know <laughs> end the game. He's like, "This is our best chance. We don't want the ball anywhere near that guy." Um, so I'll take this one. I, I don't disagree with the idea, though, ahead. behind trading Brooke Lopez. I think, I think he might have outlived his usefulness here because he was Splash Mountain. I don't know that a big rim protection center is really what you need this year, especially, and we should probably add this to the rundown, uh, if Joel Embiid's injury is more serious this, uh, and does take him out for some time. Like, you need a big figure. You've got Giannis to be your five. I think... Doc's ability to unlock Giannis as the five is what will make or break this team. And if you could sell off Brook Lopez for just some guard or wing help, that could go a long, long ways. I haven't even thought about what the package could be for that. I mean, that's it's a really interesting idea. Let's let's transition into that Embiid injury though, because that is that is super pressing. Like the eventual MVP. Like one of the best scoring seasons we've ever seen has gone through this saga where he's missed. He's played like basically half the road games. He's a coin flip. As soon as they leave Philadelphia, they have the 65 game minimum. It's like the biggest story in the media. Like when Bede's trying to hit this 65 game mark, he plays against the Warriors. He's clearly not himself. He could barely get off the ground. And then Kaminga falls into his knee kind of unrelated. It's not like his injury and him being like banged up caused like that freak accident. So it's kind of a complicated story. Where are you guys at with that? Where, where, how do you feel? Dylan, we can start with you. It is weird that like Embiid has this reputation of being so, you know, such an injury prone player. It's like, oh, you know, this guy's eventually going to break down. But a lot of these injuries that he actually sustains are like weird, random, like freak accidents. Like, you know, getting hit with, you know, a, a dude falling into his knee or you know, getting hit in the face by his own teammate in a practice. Like, he misses a lot of time due to just, like, this random, like, freak injury shit. There is this narrative that's been prevalent online that, uh, you know, he was shouldn't have been playing, but he was playing through injury to try to get to those 65 games. 
I wasn't a fan of that rule when it was first announced because I thought that it would, you know, cause situations like this where a guy would be better off not playing, but he ends up playing. But there's also the factor of, you know, just that the Sixers, like you brought up, Nate, um, discussing Tyrese Maxick, I mean, if that was today or, or last week, the Sixers really don't play well without Embiid. And if we're talking about what is this team trying to achieve? Well, they won a championship and they need a high seed um, and they can't win regular season games without Embiid. And so, you know, maybe there's some of that 65 game minimum stuff playing through injury to try to achieve that. But there's also the perspective of just this team cannot win games without Embiid. And, you know, maybe he's forcing his way when he shouldn't be playing um, because they just need to win games. I listened to a really interesting um, discussion on this on the low post, and it sounds like the type of meniscus tear has not been fully determined or not closed, but the way Kuminga fell into the knee would not cause a, a meniscus tear, but what it likely caused was them to look into it and check. And so what they were saying is that it's likely that he already had this meniscus tear. It did not occur in the Indiana game, but it probably had occurred earlier in the year and was just a, a small tear uh, this might have aggravated it or at least brought to it. And now that they know, they're weighing the options between a surgical replacement, which could take him out for the rest of the year, or um, just having him try to relax and then play through it, just a, a little bit of healing and playing through it, which depending on how bad the tear is, depending on the location of the tear, could be could be vi- a viable strategy. Um, yeah, he is very injury prone. Um, they do seem to be freak accidents, but also the body... Seven foot bodies are not meant to do what what these humans do. You know, it's it's not going to be the first guy. We have had Yao Ming, we've had Greg Oden, we've had Bill Walton. There's there's always guys that of immense skill who can't stay healthy because of the physical wear and tear of playing in this league, and it's it's a shame. And I don't know what to do about it, but I don't think the answer can be well, just sit out half the regular season. Like you, you got to play. I have three thoughts. The first one starts with what Dylan said. The Sixers can't win games without Embiid. You're completely right. Um, in the last two weeks, they have the fourth worst point differential uh, per 100 possessions in the entire league. Like they, they are playing, they're two and five in the last two weeks playing about as well as the Wizards are. So without them, they, without Embiid, it's they're absolutely toast. There's no road to contention. But what Nate said about playing through it, that's a big fucking mistake. Like there's just no way no way with the way Embiid, like, start, he started his career missing the first two seasons. He's always been super, like, taking these precautions. He's, he's this massive body. Like, the playing through it is like Bill Walton. It's like Grant Hill. It's like you play on a broken foot, and then you have, like, it's like Kevin McHale. Like, it, it, these just, I just a bad idea. If you have any self, a sense of, like, self-preservation, you have to get surgery and, and, and finish it out. There's just no way. Because I, I, someone's going to bump into that knee again. And I think the thing is, like, maybe he's not injury prone. Like, he's not brittle necessarily. Like, he doesn't have bad knees or bad feet like Bill Walton did. But part of being injury prone is just, like, accidents happening to you. And I mentioned this over the off season, Like, when Bradley Beal... Like, hadn't be like, oh, his injuries are like kind of random, basically. Like, they're not his fault. But it's like, that's part of this is like random bad shit happens to you. And that's just how Embiid's been his entire career. He gets run into. People just throw themselves into him. People dive at his knees. He's kind of a wrecking ball. Like, he's just, he's on the ground a ton. He takes a ton of contact. And that's just a part of this. At this point, he's going to have basically zero seasons where he finishes. In, in, in good health. Uh, and I want to be very clear. I'm not advocating for Embiid to try to play through. That just was one of the options um, because he is likely 
had this small tear for the last several weeks and it hadn't gotten noticed until Kuminga crashed into him. And he probably has been playing on a slightly torn meniscus. But I think we'll probably know by the time this this is up or soon thereafter. There's a chance that Embiid's season could be done. If he needs surgery, that is that is probably what we're talking about, is that he could not come back until first, second round. Um, and I don't think you want to bring a guy like this back in the middle of the first round or in the second round. Like, if it's a surgical response needed, we can say goodbye to Embiid for this year. Yeah, and it may not be a case of necessarily, you know, you know, we shouldn't think of it as playing through it, as in like they're not going to do anything about it. Like there are certain injuries that you can get to like a manageable level of recovery just through through rehabilitation, through non-surgical um, rehabilitation. And sometimes, you know, you'll see guys with a decision of surgery or rehabbing and they'll take the rehab route, which lets them play out the season and then get surgery in the off season. Um, and so that could be what we see with Embiid where it's not – just you know, playing with a torn meniscus for the rest of the year, but it's a non-surgical rehabilitation which lets it heal to a certain level where he's able to sustain the rest of the season and then um, can address that properly in the off-season. And I do say to anyone who is like mad at the rule or anyone who's pushing back against us saying that we need to like, or the, it's the media's fault or fans that want him to play or this is dumb in any way, shape, or form. Embiid looked hurt running up and down the court during that game. His coach could have pulled him at any point. If he's hurt in that game and he's not moving well, you could just take him out. Like, the, it, nothing, leave him in in the final four minutes to have a freak incident. Like, if he's really laboring like that and he's hurt, you you can take him out and say, you know what, it's not going well. We're, we're not going to play him the rest of this game. That's an option. Yeah, I think the anger is misplaced at the 65-game minimum. Like, I think players want to hit that. They're aware of that. I think Embiid is aware of that. But it wasn't, like, it's just so confusing because why force it and play against Golden State and, and and miss all of these random road games when he was totally fine, when he wasn't this injured? Because I, I feel like because he had missed so many games in a like he had missed so many road games and was facing, like, the 65-game minimum, he then forced himself to play in this Warriors game because he was starting to slip. He was starting to miss too many games. It's like this self-created problem almost this entire, you know, with between the Sixers and the medical staff and Embiid. And it's not his fault necessarily, but they were overly precautious and they left the margin of error when he actually was hurt, like really injured, so slim because they wanted him to miss like 12 games intentionally, basically. In response to your idea of like, you know, these types of players, Yao Ming, Bill Walton, now Joel Embiid, that there's no real way to prevent this sort of thing because like you just have to play games at some point. I think that one of the many benefits of reducing the amount of games in a season is you reduce the, you know, that cumulative wear. Um, you want players to play every game. Well, if there are fewer games, it's easier to play every game. Um, and you also reduce the chances for these freak accidents to happen. If you're playing 65 games at, over the course of a year instead of 82, there's just, you know, fewer opportunities for these freak accidents to happen and so if we're talking about how is there any way that we can prevent this sort of um generational talent wearing down um playing fewer games having fewer games in a season i think is one option which the nba doesn't doesn't seem to ever want to do it's never going to happen because that's so much money so much money to go down to 65 games or something so that's kind of off the table my thing is playing in the nba is fucking hard it is hard 
it's hard on your body. It's not good for your joints. Like it's like you, there are guys who are in great shape, but it's not supposed to be easy. Like in, in getting hurt and staying healthy is a part of this. We can't change the entire landscape of the season just because one player like just can't stay healthy. I mean, it sucks. That's just a part of this. We've done we've done this since this entire history of the sport. Guys play, sometimes they get hurt. It sucks when it happens. Like with Bill Walton, though, like modern medicine has helped him be dodged that. Where in the seventies, Walton like break his foot and then like play on it and they break his other foot. And at that point, they at that point they'd be like, we should get an X-ray machine in this building and try to figure this out. For Yao Ming, he played like eight years consecutively because he played for like the Chinese international team in the off season. So he basically never stopped playing, never got rest. And Beatle, I mean, couldn't have handled that for more than three seasons. So Yao Ming honestly was like kind of durable, even though it, like he like speed ran an entire fifteen year career in like six seasons just because he never stopped playing. Yeah, it unfortunately does have some pretty serious trade deadline ramifications because the 76ers were a team that has, I mean, they still are a team that has a lot of good assets as far as movable players or players on movable salaries. Like that Marcus Morris senior contract uh, is, is like $18 million and expiring. They also have some picks they could have moved. And just right now with kind of the, the fogginess around Embiid and his health, I don't entirely know what, what you look to do. I mean, I thought about maybe Marcus Morris and a pick for Marcus Smart because um, he's got a few more years in the deal and he'd be a nice piece. But I, I really just don't know what Philly even tries to do now. It completely mucks it up. It completely changes what we're doing just because you. it was an obvious buying team and now it hinges on, on, on Beats Health. But I like the Marcus Smart deal because there's a few years on it. You, you should still cash in your expiring. There's no reason to let those turn to dust. Um, still try to build a better team, even if you're really building for next year at this point. Now, I was going to bring up the Sixers' salary sheet because I think that they have... I'll just bring it up to confirm, but I think they do have the opportunity to create significant cap space. Yeah, they can... Basically, only Embiid is under contract. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Embiid and it's Paul Reed and everyone else they can... Either, either let go, and so those you know those expirings, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, those tradable contracts, like they do have some value on the roster, just in the fact that they are about to expire um, and could become cap space. And so that I think is a, is another complicated factor for the Sixers to deal with, is that they can make a play this season to to buy you know a good player, or they've got that tough decision of do they not do that so that they can have cap space going into the following season. That's interesting. That's a really good point. Maybe uh, maybe cap space is the most valuable piece at this point, but the trade deadline is approaching. Next time we, we see each other, it will have passed. It is uh, next. Is this upcoming wow. Friday, the 9th. Zach Levine, with season-ending surgery, no longer on the block. The Pistons say they aren't interested. Some other rumors say um, the Lakers, Sixers, and Magic are interested in Kyle Lowry. For what reason, I could not tell you. Um, anyone want to touch on that? Only as a buyout option. It would have to be a buyout mm. option. Can't and be, if, though. And Can't like, listen, he's, oh, sure, the Hornets can buy him out. He's a free agent this yeah, but the year, Lakers and the Lakers are still... Him. Yeah, they, um, I'm pretty sure the Lakers still can't sign him because that I don't think that I, I, the cap has kicked in yet, where we can't sign buyout guys, or we're in the second apron. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the salary. So I think it's if you're in the second apron, you can only sign a buyout guy who was making less than the mid level um, when they were bought out. And so Kyle Lowry makes twenty something million, um, and so for a second apron team, which I don't think the Lakers are, you couldn't sign Kyle Lowry. Like say the Clippers, for example, cannot sign Kyle Lowry. 
um, because of their salary. That's yeah. correct. I'm looking at it now. The Warriors, Clippers, Suns, Bucks, Celtics, Cavs, Nuggets, and Heat cannot sign buyout players. At least not good buyout players or high value buyout, high high contract buyout players. They could sign in other guys if you know you were making less than the mid level, so like less than ten mil. Some more trade rumor mills stuff from Hoops Hype. Just reading this straight up. The Clippers looking at PJ Washington. Uh, Washington's DeLon Wright has been mixed around, as well as every other Wizards player, including Kyle Kuzma, Daniel Gafford, <laughs> and Bryce Jones. All players I kind of like. I had um, Jack the Kings fan had cooked up a mean Wizards trade that I actually really liked. It was basically all of our garbage, all the Kings garbage. It was like Bar- basically Barnes, Herder, Len, and Davion or something and like a first in two seconds or two firsts or whatever you want to do for Kuzma, Tyus Jones, and Gafford. We would just take their their three good players yeah, and yeah. we get expirings and picks. I love it. I understand you like that. I do not think the Washington Wizards <laughs> fans will like that trade. I'll give them tons of picks. I okay, I do really want Gafford though, because Gafford can actually protect the rim. It's hard to tell because the Wizards are terrible defensively, but that's actually not because of Gafford. It's because yeah. of every other player on that roster. It would be interesting to see Kyle Kuzma have to adjust to a um going back to a regular usage kind of role. Um I was looking at um actually relating to Wimbanyama. The idea that people are like, why is San Antonio not running like every single thing through this guy? I was like, well, he's like fifth in the league among, you know, bigger guys in terms of usage rate. Like he's got a 30 usage rate. Like he's getting a lot of <laughs> a lot of fucking positions. Um and the the guy that's just above him um is, you know, fourth among those bigger players is Carl Kuzma, uh, who has a, a over 30% usage rate. So it'd be interesting to see him go from, you know, one of the highest usages in the league back to playing on a real team. You know, it's interesting though, is what I don't even know if that would affect him that much. Um, we know he can be like the role player, but in terms of scoring, if that if that trade as his stands would happen, he would just be like the second option. Because Sabonis doesn't look at the basket. Like he gets mm-hmm. post ups, he has the ball a lot, but in terms of like taking the shots, Kuzma would just be second behind Fox. And I think he could fit in with that. Aaron, I hate to tell you this. Kuzma will not believe that he is the second option. In Kuzma's mind, he's still the first <laughs> no, option, and he's still no. going to just keep watching it. <laughs> Don't yeah, say this to me. You hated the Brook Lopez looking off Dame. Just wait till Kyle Kuzma looks off um, Jaron Fox to, <laughs> to miss a hey, free Hey, Fox has win. been bad in the clutch this season. I might have to just accept that. Um, some other stuff from... Uh, Jake Fisher says DeJounte Murray has only had offers from two teams, the Lakers and the Jazz. Can't imagine those teams are offering a ton. I'm, I'm sure Danny Ainge offered all the garbage he could gather. And the Lakers, probably, what does that look like, Nate? What does that package look like? So the package package is probably D'Angelo Russell at pick. But in all honesty, with how well Russell's been playing, it's hard to imagine giving up Russell and that pick making us, mar- making us better enough worth doing so if it's not russell then probably a gabe vincent and max christie um and probably some other filler maybe jackson hayes i don't know how to get the salaries to line up but it doesn't look good it's not a pretty package i mean i don't think that max christie is you know a garbage player that's not worth considering as an asset um i think max christie is a good player who actually atlanta would consider as positive value um, coming back in a trade um, obviously, they have absolutely no interest in D'Angelo Russell. Like, terrible, terrible fit. They'll probably look for a third team for him. A guy 
in Dejounte Murray, who I think is is expiring. Is that correct? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's I think it's like a three year deal. Let me check his contract. Dejounte yeah, Murray is a, the a good start deal. of uh, oh, yeah, five yeah, yeah. year. Damn. Right. Hey, it's, 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 it's the opposite of expiring. Deal. It's, it's yeah. about to become a huge negative value contract. Um, and is so it? I mean, this guy's yeah. late 20s, about to be way overpaid, slipped hugely defensively, um, not a clear lead creator from the point guard spot. Um, I think, yeah, he's definitely about to become negative value. And it's, so I think if Atlanta can get any sort of an asset for him, um, Lakers can trade one pick. I believe they can swap. They can do pick swaps. Um, so maybe it's like if it's you know D'Lo, Max Christie, and a, a pick swap. I think that's reasonable sort of value. Uh, Dejounte to the Lakers is probably like the most um, most likely outcome. It's happening. Same. It's a hundred percent happening. Go ahead, Nate. If we have to give up D'Lo, Max Christie, and a pick, I do not want this deal to happen. <laughs> Max has been really Let's feisty go. defensively. Like Dylan, you're absolutely right. He is not a nothing trade package with his age, with his contract, which is expiring, but you know, he hasn't done enough to really earn another big deal. You find him next year for under five mil. Um, he's a nice piece to have around. And he's some uh, you'd asked me earlier in the season, Dylan, about the Lakers having a really good plus minus with him in, and I kinda I kinda poo-pooed. I said like that that's just kind of noise. But the more he plays He's a bigger wing. He tries hard defensively. He had a big block on Dante DiVincenzo last night. You know, he's not overly aggressive. He defers when he should defer. He shoots, which at good times, and and tries on defense. And, like, I don't know what more you want from a young player. So uh, if I have to give him and a pick and D'Lo up to get Murray, I don't think that's that's a good deal for L.A. I'd much rather see them do something smaller, try to involve maybe Brooklyn. We could give up a couple of seconds and Vince and get back either Royce O'Neal, probably Royce O'Neal. We're not going to get Dorian Finney-Smith for a couple of seconds. Maybe the first for Dorian Finney-Smith, but like something like that. Royce O'Neal would be great. I'd love Royce. The Nets have the most interesting player in Dorian Finney-Smith. I saw the Mavericks were interested in him. I want him on the Kings. Every team wants him. Um, I do like the 10,000 IQ gigabrain move for the Mavericks or trading back for him. I appreciate that timeline. Um, lots of stuff for Dallas. Uh, I'm reading now from Jake Fisher. It says that Mavericks potential targets include Jeremy Grant, Andrew Wiggins, Dorian Finney-Smith, PJ Washington. Does anyone have a favorite? Dylan, go ahead. Um, do they have a first-round pick to trade? I think so. Let me see. Nate's shaking his head like it's no. I'm not sure. I mean, after they traded, I don't think they've got much much assets to trade for anything. Like they really needed to get their pick back from the Knicks, which is kind of why they tanked out of the playoffs, was that way they could get the pick back, and then they flipped that around and got lively. Um, but they they do not have a lot of assets to move. I guess they okay they do have a twenty seven pick that could be traded. So one, yeah, I think it might be twenty six because they're out twenty four. Looks like they've got twenty five, so they can move twenty six to meet the Stepien rule uh, requirements. But either way, I'm thinking it's um. It looks like they do have one first round pick available. The question becomes: Look at the place where this team is. Is this the kind of team um that you're willing to give up a first round pick to improve? Um, and so they are da 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 twenty six and twenty three, slightly above five hundred. Um, outperforming their point differential, expected 
um, 82 win rate of 41 games. Um, is this the kind of team that you are willing to move your last tradable pick to improve? Looking at the season that Luke is having and the way that he has played well with a guy like Finney Smith, maybe you say you don't want to waste a, a year of Luca's prime, and so it's a must-do to, to move that first. And, you know, 2026 Mavericks first for Dorian Finney-Smith. I think that's reasonable value for both teams. I think you have to if you're Dallas. Because, I mean, Luca Luca looks good right now. He's going to look even better in a Lakers jersey. Better buckle up for that <laughs> one. <laughs> so <laughs> I've seen the Photoshop. He looks great. He looks great. Um, <laughs> you'd have to, to be willing to go with that first. You want to play better right now. Like, if he starts getting upset, because you have Kyrie. Like, they got him in the bargain bin. He's played really well, and he's been healthy this season. Um, it's just been tough. It's been tough for them. So I could see that happening. I wanted to touch on, before we wrap up, um, Golden State and what they're up to. Yesterday, as of this recording, they lost to the Hawks, despite Steph Curry dropping 60 points. Every every Warriors game feels exactly the same. Steph plays out of his mind. Kaminga shows flashes. And the other guys anchor that team to the bottom of the ocean. This rumor says that the Warriors had inquired about Alex Caruso, but the Bulls are too interested, interested in chasing a playoff spot. As, <laughs> <laughs> as awesome as that would be for the Golden State. Um, what's your guys' plan of attack for fixing the Warriors? Is this a, like, we fucked up? And we have to blow this up as far as we can because this team is so far away from contending. Or is this just like minor moves and try to right this ship? We can start with Nate. How do you guys feel about a Clay Thompson for Tobias Harris trade? Ew, man. (laughs) 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 Whose problems are we fixing? (laughs) So we're getting a spot up catch and shoot shooter who, albeit is not what he once was in Philly to kind of play off of Embiid. And we're getting a guy who can do a little bit more with the ball in his hands to play in Golden State. I don't know that there is a fixing of this. And I think this is kind of just how dynasties end. And you, they do kind of go out with more of a whimper than a bang thing a lot of the times. Like, you know, the late stages Kobe with the Lakers wasn't, wasn't particularly great. And, you know, you started letting Powell walk away. You, you didn't bring back Metal World Peace. Like, you, you try things and it slowly just falls apart. And, this is how these things die. I I would turn over. I think I don't think there's so much a roster move to fix it. Maybe there's some internal coaching moves to fix it. But I, that's I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. Saying Kobe's last years as a Laker were uh, were not great is super nice. That's very kind of you. Um, it, it's really hard, you know, when the Warriors have won so much, the ending is bound to be ugly. They've held it together for longer than 99.9% of teams have held their championship course together. Being able to bring in Durant, having him leave, retooling again, winning another title... At some point, it's bound to get ugly, and their strategy of paying their best players of old, has it's not that it's backfired, but you knew it wasn't going to work out when they did it, but they did it because they liked those guys, because they liked the culture, because they couldn't get rid of the guy, these guys that had won so many titles with them that were so beloved. The thing is, you're going to trade Clay. it can't be for Tobias Harris. Like the Chase Center, Chase Center, is it still Chase Center? Would be burned down by the morning <laughs> by angry Warriors fans if you traded Clay Thompson for, for for someone so mess, someone just as like as a whatever. Um they they gotta go down with the ship like this. You you made their bed they made their bed and they're gonna lay in it and they're gonna have horrific nightmares all through the night. Yeah, it it is tough that they've got all these like really 
bad, borderline unplayable guys on big contracts. Um, they they brought Chris Paul in to be like the D'Angelo Russell, you know, human trade exception. And now like there's just no move for them to use him to, to upgrade this roster. Like does Chris Paul and two first round picks get you anyone that's going to turn this team from play into you know contender i mean probably not and unfortunately the the trade that they really need to make is 2024 andrew wiggins for 2022 andrew wiggins um that would fix all their problems but yeah like this this is the way that these teams end all these guys on big contracts that they're just underperforming well gentlemen next time i see you we'll be talking about um Jeremy Grant, the Laker, or Andrew Wiggins, the Laker, and I look forward to it. (laughs) Anything else you'd like to touch on before we depart? Yes. I would like to pitch to you the Knicks mega trade. Evan Fournier, Quentin Grimes, five first-round picks for Laurie Mar. Hell yeah. Man, they should do it. That'd be a a legitimate contending team. It would work. And the picks, they have a pick from the Pistons, a pick from the Wizards, pick from Dallas. Now, all three of those picks are protected, so the Pistons pick will probably roll over to next year. I mean, it will over to next year. The Wizards pick, will, they're going to roll over a few more years, but eventually those are going to be solid picks. The Dallas pick uh, is top 10 protected. It's probably going to be, you know, 20-something. They have a 2025 Milwaukee pick, which is top four protected. Um, you know, it's not going to be a, a knockout pick, but, like, you could give up four picks in this upcoming draft and one in 2025 and still have all of your picks moving. So, like, if you're the Knicks, you might as well might, just might as well go for it. And if you don't go for it, you should need to pick up the team option on Evan Fournier, which I think would be the funniest thing of the offseason. If they don't move him, <laughs> they end up picking up the team option for next year for $19 million because they're like, well, we need to have a tradable contract. So we're bringing you back. And with Embiid going down, that's just one less team. For, for the Knicks, I think you have to look at it as like we have a legitimate chance to make the finals. Like Milwaukee is coached by Doc Rivers, cross them off. <laughs> Embiid is gone, cross the Sixers off. Can you get past Boston or can Miami take them out before you have to? <laughs> and that point, <laughs> at that point, it's like 50 50 for a finals run. How'd they get if they get Laurie Market? Yeah. The, the Warriors are the other team that could get into some Larry Market and trades. Um, Minga, Moses Moody, um, two first round picks, matching salary. Um, like that's that's another team that could if they want to, they could make a big swing and bring in the finisher. All right. I look forward to it, guys. Dylan, where can the people find you? Every week, except for some of them, on the Hoops Temple podcast. And also shout out to the Houston Rockets who just traded um for Steven Adams. Oh yeah, that's right. And did not talk about the trades that had happened. That's a big one. Is Adams gonna play? <laughs> He's gonna be a backup he center. <laughs> Not this year. Oh, yeah. No. He's out for this year. Um, but okay. next year, they're, they're, they'll have the best sense of rotation in the league. 48 minutes of hell. He's off the Grizzlies uh, injury report. They finally got what they wanted. Um, and Nate, where can the people find you? Nate underscore Hoops Temple on TikTok, on this podcast all the time. And you can email us all, hoopstemple at gmail.com. You can find me, possible chairs on TikTok, possible chairs on Twitter, and this podcast all the time.